please keep your Bibles open as we go through Psalm 46 together. Uh, but let's pray as we come to God's Word. Uh, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. And what you say is always good for us to hear, to understand and to apply. So Father, we pray that what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. For the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, almost 500 years ago, in 1527, the great reformer Martin Luther uh, had a year that I think we can probably relate to. Uh, the Black Plague was again spreading across most of Europe and especially Germany, where Luther was in Wittenberg. Uh, it was a highly contagious plague with what was described as an astronomical mortality rate. Uh, when it had swept through Europe almost 200 years earlier, it's estimated that it wiped out almost 60% of the population. To make matters worse, uh, Luther not only had the plague to deal with, there was a bounty on his head. During the same time, his son almost died, and Luther himself was struck with illness of the non-plague kind. That's quite a year, right? Uh, and although the date is 1527, I think it's fairly 2020 by the sound of it. Many are calling this a, a year to forget. It's a global pandemic that's taken over our world with lockdowns, face masks and, of course, economic recession. And if these hilarious, uh, although kind of telling memes are anything to go by, people are struggling with how to cope and, of course, how to respond. Uh, Beyond Blue reports with a, a massive increase of calls and a huge backlog with major concerns over mental health, a rise in domestic violence and even divorce rates spiking. We've seen hoarding and fighting, widespread panic and just a general frustration as we struggle through to live under restrictions. So how did Luther respond all those years ago to sickness, plague and family tragedy? Well, he did what he loved to do. He turned to Psalm 46. Uh, Luther is well known for his love of this psalm, and it was in this context that Luther penned what would become a very famous hymn, what was called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation, his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The hymn is based on Psalm 46, and it was both a comfort and an inspiration for Luther in 1527 Wittenberg, and it is a great psalm for us. Uh, as Annie just read it, I hope you heard that it is written for and in a time of crisis as the world dissolves. Yet it starts and finishes with confidence in God. As the title of the psalm suggests, this is a song in its own right. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. It was designed to be sung regularly by God's people as they face crisis and chaos. Because what response does God actually expect from us in a pandemic? What is the uniquely Christian reaction to it? Well, this psalm shows us that moments or even years of chaos and trouble are not times to forget, but actually to grow in, to learn and to have confidence rather than to fear. This psalm is designed to inspire our confidence as it directs us to the hope beyond what this world can offer. 
but also comes with an important rebuke as God knows that we are often tempted to search elsewhere for what God alone offers. And so the psalm begins with a declaration of confidence in God in the face of chaos. As the psalmist kind of just lays down reality of who God is, notice how matter-of-fact he is. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. True security is found in God and in God alone. Refuge speaks of external security and safety, while strength is about inner transformation. So as we run to, as we cling to God, the point is that we will not escape trouble necessarily, but that we will be emboldened and strengthened to be faithful to God in it, for he is our ever-present help in trouble. The psalmist is urging us to see God as our reliable, constant and sufficient source of help, willing and ready if we only turn to him. Because this is who God is. No matter what's going on, no matter how we feel, this is who God is. The psalmist makes that clear in the next verses with this amazing catastrophic language. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now the language is exaggerated with a picture of the world itself falling apart. The earth and the mountains were pictures of stability. Although they were understood or perceived to be as immovable, the psalmist sees them as giving way and falling into the sea and the language is meant to be extravagant to highlight that God is our refuge even if the whole world was to collapse but it's kind of 3,000 or thereabouts uh, years since the psalm was written and what was probably unimaginable to them is almost common to us we have any number of natural disasters that probably fit the description of verse 3 earth Moving, mountains, falling. We have bombs that can level a city or flatten a landscape. And to the modern reader, verse 2 might even sound like a, des a description of global warming. And our society does have a somewhat concerned obsession with world-ending cataclysmic events. Movie after movie that speculates about global disasters like fallout from nuclear war. And so often this speculation and our additional knowledge leads to anxiety, fear and panic. Uh, in David Attenborough's latest Netflix documentary on climate change, he declares that our world is headed for disaster and our children are doomed unless we act now. A great deal of panic surrounds what's going to happen in the future. And I think, whether you liked it or not, I think it's why the emotionally charged speeches of teen Greta Thunberg struck such a nerve and received widespread support. And yet, with a clear picture of who God is, the psalmist boldly declares in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear. Regardless of how bad the world seems to get or where we might be heading in the future, God's people need not, they should not fear, but turn to God 
our ever-present help. I think this idea is very similar to what we see in Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4. It's a well-known story. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. A great storm comes up. It threatens the boat and the very lives of those in it. And in their panic, they wake up Jesus and accuse him of not caring about them, to which Jesus calms the storm, then rebukes them and asks them, why are you afraid? The implication being that they didn't need to be. And so as we see God clearly and as we cling to him, we can have confidence in the chaos. But how do we get there? It kind of sounds a little bit simplistic or even unrealistic, doesn't it, to just say, I'm not going to fear no matter what happens. But the point is not that a true Christian is somehow incapable of fear, but that even in the face of the most overwhelming terror, we gain strength and courage to allay our fears as we turn to and trust our sovereign God. Now, again, this might all seem a little bit basic, but I think a global pandemic and lockdown has really shown us that trusting God and being strengthened by him is actually not our default reaction. How quickly do we forget God, either turning to despair or just simply looking to ourselves as we bunker down to fix the situation and look after ourselves? It's what we're wired to do, right? What do all these movies about world-ending events speculate? What do they all have in common? Well, at the end of the day, it's usually humanity banding together to fix the problem, save the day, and carve out a brighter future. That's essentially the mantra of what our government is doing right now about COVID-19. But God and God alone is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And so often, even for Christians, this is just our last resort. And so tonight, as we listen to God speak, let's bring Psalm 46 into our hearts and minds to bring us back to reality of our reliable, sufficient, and generously willing God who invites us to trust him as he calms our fears. And as we share that confidence with the psalmist, we should be willing to confess out loud and boldly as the psalmist does notice he repeats himself verse 1 verse 7 verse 11 that God and God alone is our fortress our hope and our strength I don't know about you but particularly over the last few weeks I've been very caught up with following and tracking the daily case numbers so often these numbers are the topic of conversation with uh, with friends as we long for the easing of restrictions and wait for these wonderful Sunday press conferences. But what I've found is I get so consumed about cases and restrictions easing that in my conversation it seems like my hope and my confidence is actually just the same as everyone else's. That even as someone who professes to know, trust and love Jesus as my Lord who controls the world, I'm really just suggesting that what I'm clinging to, what I'm hoping for, are some more earthly freedoms and an enjoyable life now. And so what I think would be so good for us and for our witness to the world that rejects Jesus and in reality has no hope is to both embrace and joyfully declare that true and lasting security is found in Jesus alone. 
He and he alone is our refuge and strength. And so ask, is that what you have modelled? Is that what you have declared to others over the past six plus months? It's strange, isn't it, that even though I work for a church, even though everyone I know knows I'm a Christian, I still find myself hesitant or even holding back from sounding too religious or making things awkward by speaking about God. It makes us sound disconnected from reality, even a bit crazy. And it's a tension I think we often feel. But the psalm shows us that when God is our refuge and strength, it is worth declaring for our own good and for the good of others. Because our confidence in God, regardless of the chaos we are in, regardless of how bad things seem to be, it is not based on fantasy or wishful thinking, but the initiative, the actions and the presence of God. In verses 4 to 7, the psalmist directs us to the cause of his confidence with this beautiful contrast. We move from a raging sea to a calm little river. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The contrast really is quite beautiful. Although the mountains themselves are falling in verse 2, there is a city that will not fall, the city of God. And so what is the basis of our immovable, incomparable confidence? Well, it's actually by knowing what city you belong to. While every city on earth can fall away, can be destroyed, the city of God never can be, for it cannot be. And being part of this city is true security. The idea is that a city that had a river or a solid water supply was much more difficult to take or to invade because the people were sustained even if they were surrounded and locked in. If you can cut off the water supply, it was a different story. The people would begin to perish before the invaders even got in. But notice that this river flows from the very presence of God. The city of God, or what is often called Zion in the Psalms, is Jerusalem, because at the heart of the city was the temple of God where God himself dwelled. And so this river is a picture of spiritual sustenance that comes from living in the presence of God and receiving his blessing and restoration. It is his presence and his goodness that sustains and makes glad the city. Because God himself lives there, it is sustained and safe even under attack. Verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. Jerusalem was attacked many times and it might even be that an invasion by a nation like Assyria is the context for when this psalm was written. But notice that we've moved from confidence in the face of natural disasters or world-ending events in verses 1 to 3 to now gladness in the face of invasion or war or political turmoil as kingdoms fall in verse 6. When you live with God, when you belong to him and his people, there is nothing in this world outside of his control or too hard for him to deal with. He needs only to speak 
and the earth melts. And this is something that God's people knew all too well from their own history. Uh, That phrase at the end of verse 5, at break of day, actually points us back to the Exodus when God saved his people from Pharaoh's army. Having led them safely through the Red Sea, God said to Moses, this is Exodus 14, starting in verse 26, God said, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. God had shown his power and sovereignty over all people, even those waging war against him and his people already. They knew this. And so as we look back to God's actions in history, we are assured of his help in the present. And that God will help at break of day also tells us that every morning the sun rises is a reminder of his readiness and willingness to be our refuge and strength. Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Zephaniah 3. Morning by morning, he dispenses justice, and every new day he does not fail. And so notice that this psalm is not suggesting that we just let go and let God or merely hope that a higher power is somehow at work. He's drawing them and us to see the all-powerful covenant God who has taken the initiative to reveal himself to dwell with and to save his people. Verse 7 makes that clear. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, for the first time in the psalm, God is referred to as the Lord or Yahweh, that covenant, that personal name that God revealed to Moses in the burning bush when he saved his people and made them his own. He is Yahweh Almighty or Lord of hosts. This is a common picture in the Psalms of God as a mighty warrior with a mighty army that will have certain victory. The all-powerful God, says the psalmist, is with us personally, dwelling amongst us. But not just his power is focused, but also his grace, for he is the God of Jacob. Uh, Now you may or may not know the story of Jacob and his family well. It occupies pretty much the second half of Genesis and it is a messy story to say the least it's full of crisis and drama and family betrayal jealousy deception fraud rebellion and heartache it's got all the makings of a great 21st century reality tv show yet God the Lord Almighty chose this family to dwell with them to bless them and even to bless others through them The God who has revealed himself is the God who chooses, sticks with and uses the very unimpressive, the unworthy. Despite the mess, despite the chaos, he is with them and working through them and for them. And so this refrain in verse 7 that's again repeated in verse 11 draws us not simply to God's power 
but to his presence and his character. He is the sovereign God of grace and mercy. But it's important for us to remember that Jerusalem, where God dwelled with his people, was attacked many times, even destroyed by the, by the Babylonians, as we've been hearing about in Ezekiel. And so being safe and belonging to the city of God is not a picture of just some special earthly city, but a picture of right relationship with God, of dwelling in his presence and being safe forever. It's actually a picture of heaven. We see this in Revelation 22, a heavenly city, a river flowing from the throne of God where God lives with his people and they enjoy his presence and peace and safety forever. And this is very important for us to grasp because as those saved by Jesus and given eternal life through him, this city of God, this eternal safety is something we actually enjoy and experience now. Speaking to and about Christians in Hebrews 12, the author says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. We, like Israel, have seen and experienced the presence and power and grace of God in the gospel of Jesus. As Matthew tells us, at the birth of Jesus, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our refuge, for in his death and resurrection we are given a sure hope of forgiveness and life with God that lasts forever. And it's on the cross we see God's power and grace combine as those who hate and kill Jesus are really only serving his purposes as his death is our salvation and he rises to conquer death for us. And the risen king who now has all authority promises that he will always be with us, Matthew 28. For by his spirit we are never alone, assured of his presence and help daily. And so to use the language of Philippians 3.20, it's as we know that we are citizens of heaven and belong to that heavenly city with Jesus belonging to him, that we will now share the confidence of this psalm. And so while the safety, the comforts, the glory of any earthly city can be lost, taken, destroyed or restricted, as we know and are experiencing now, the benefits and the beauty of belonging to this heavenly city never can. And we belong to it now, and we will be there forever in the presence of our great God, and our earthly circumstances should only serve to strengthen our hope and joy of going there. But I think most of us know that this kind of perspective and confidence still doesn't come easily or naturally to us. Our experience confirms what the psalm presumes, that as those who hope in Jesus, turmoil, chaos and hardship will follow. And for most of us who have been Christians for more than a minute, we know that our confidence wavers. Our faithfulness is fickle 
and so often cowardice outweighs our courage. So how do we constantly have the confidence and the gladness that this psalm declares is on offer for God's people? How can we joyfully and repeatedly embrace and confess God is our refuge and strength? Well, verses 8 to 11 actually tell us how, as the psalm finishes with a call to respond. That call to come in verse 8, just like it is in Psalm 95, it's a call to worship, to share in the psalm's confidence and lack of fear. But the call to worship might actually surprise us. Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 9 is promising that God will bring peace to his people as wars cease on the whole earth. But this peace is won through judgment, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Like verse 5, Uh, This is pointing us back to the Exodus where peace came through judgment. God saved his people by destroying Pharaoh's army. And it's by seeing what God has done in the past, seeing his sovereign control and power that gives them confidence for the present and the future. What he's saying is that what God did to Egypt is anticipating the final judgment when God will put an end to all hostility and war. And the same is true for us. As we look back to the cross, we see peace won through judgment as Jesus saves us by taking God's wrath in our place. And now at peace with God, we are assured of his presence and his protection in the face of chaos, persecution and suffering. But we also know that the risen Jesus will return in glory and in judgment when he makes all things new. And so this really is a call to see the world through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of salvation history what God has done in the past and promised for the future. And as we look through that lens, we will cling to our Saviour in the present. Calvin puts it, I think, so beautifully in his commentary on this psalm when he says, The reason we do not rest in the security we have in Christ is because we are indifferent to the consideration of his works or so ungrateful that we make not half the account of them which we ought to. The psalm is calling us to develop regular and deep contemplative habits, to be proficient in setting before our hearts and our minds every day Jesus and him crucified. As Paul says to Timothy, remember Christ Jesus Raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Remember Jesus. And so although that might seem a little bit rudimental and think the psalm psalm is telling us that the pathway to confidence in the face of chaos is regular habits of listening to God and responding to him by talking to him. 
It's as we have a big view of God and see him rightly that all our troubles and trials in this life will become small and weak in comparison. And as COVID-19 has forced so many of us to slow down and to stop so many things, this pandemic has surely been wasted if we haven't done this. Because to remember the mighty acts of God, it plants deep in our memory the evidence of his care and love and his protection and providential rule. The knowledge of the glory of God is displayed in the face of Christ. So we should daily come and see what God has done, is doing, which takes us to verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, I know that there are probably few verses that have made it onto posters and mugs more than this one. It's frequently quoted and much loved. But I think this, uh, the, what this verse has kind of taken on is the idea of, of meditation, of just stopping everything to, to think. But I don't think that's really what is going on here in the psalm. To be still and to acknowledge God is actually a rebuke. God is not calling for people to be quiet, but to change, to stop or to cease an action. And this is made clear by the promise, which is actually a warning, that God will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. The point is, resisting God is futile. And so verse 10, I think, is quite multifaceted. On the one hand, it's saying to the nations who are raging against God or his people, that their efforts are pointless. For all who oppose God, this is a call to acknowledge reality and submit to him as the true and living God. And so if you're listening tonight and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a call for you. Because by his death and resurrection, Jesus has been vindicated, been proven to be God, the King of kings, to whom all people must bow. Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The risen and reigning King Jesus is graciously calling people to himself, including you and I, to repent and to acknowledge our sin and rebellion and to enjoy life and salvation he offers. Every knee should bow, and in reality every knee will bow when Jesus returns. But it will be too late then. But verse 10 also comes as a rebuke and warning for God's people. Having called us to find our security and confidence through worship as we grasp our salvation, the psalmist knows that we have a tendency to look elsewhere for refuge and strength. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people pretty much turn to anything and anywhere other than God for help when faced with trouble. Whether turning to false gods or idols, making alliances with foreign nations or distrusting in their own ability to fix the situation themselves. 
And so sadly, while confessing God as our true security doesn't come naturally, as we saw in verses 1 to 3, finding alternative sources of security, even though they are feeble and unsatisfying, comes very naturally to us. The human heart is an idol factory capable of turning almost anything into a false source of hope and trust. Israel especially showed us this, whether they were taking good gifts of God like peace and prosperity as their hope and confidence, or even turning something like the temple into a false source of security rather than God himself. And so I wonder then if verse 10 is a timely and important word for us during this pandemic. Has Jesus been your refuge and strength in COVID-19? Is your longing that you will be faithful and not fear, or that Jesus will just fix it all and remove the virus? Has good health and low case numbers been your comfort, or the God of grace? I imagine for lots of us, this pandemic has been a fairly revealing experience. And Psalm 46 shows us that at the heart of knowing God is not demanding things from him, but running to him. Knowing Jesus does not spare us from pandemic or sickness, but give us eternal security and hope through it. So where has your hope been over the last six or more months of lockdown? To what or who have you turned for confidence and hope? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. Just might be the words lots of us need to hear right now and the response God is calling you to. Uh, In 1527, as many in Wittenberg were dying from the plague, the prince ordered Luther to flee, but he refused. He stayed to care for the sick and the dying and to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, and even converted his own monastery into a makeshift hospital. Luther shows us that confidence in God and to not fear is not some passive bunkering down and waiting for things to get better or to look after yourself. It is to be faithful to God, even showing the love of God to others in the midst of turmoil and even death. And so how do we share in that confidence? How do we join the psalmist and say, though lockdown continues and the virus spreads, though many are hoarding and hurting, sick and even dying, I will not fear? How did Luther do it? Well, amazingly, both before and after the plague, he was very well known for saying to his friends and colleagues, come, let us sing the 46th psalm. Luther would constantly come back to God's word and especially to this psalm to both gain and confess with others our unshakable confidence in God. And so let this psalm by God's spirit preach confidence to your heart that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let it point you again to the cross where we see God reign in the midst of chaos for our good, for our salvation. And knowing that not one aspect of your life is outside of his control, let Psalm 46 cause you to run 
and to cling to the risen and reigning Jesus daily. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our refuge and strength, our ever-present help. Father, we thank you that we can come to you now with confidence, knowing that you will help. We thank you that when we look at the cross, we see your power and grace and love. And we ask tonight that you would forbid that we run anywhere else for our security and for our comfort. And Father, please forgive us, for we know we have. Open our eyes now, we pray, to see your presence and love, that we would trust you in all circumstances. And please keep us faithful as citizens of heaven who long to go home. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.